Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello, everyone. This is Philip Katafamo with Believe in Angels on the Believe Podcast Network, Los Angeles' number one sports podcast network, the only place with a show for every team in L.A. and more. We believe in our teams. Do you believe? Uh, this is the first episode of my series, uh, Outside Looking In, where I get an opportunity to sit down with a professional athlete and talk about uh, their careers, talk about uh, their life after their sport. And I got an opportunity to sit down with the ho- current host of Believe in the Arizona Cardinals, Ed Smith. He has an incredible story. The guy started out as a baseball player straight out of high school, played with the Chicago White Sox in 1987, and had a baseball career from 87 to the to the uh, mid-90s. Joined, played in the European Football League, played in the XFL, played in the NFL. He had a Super Bowl appearance with the Atlanta Falcons. I cannot thank Ed Smith more that he was my first guest because he was incredibly nice. He is a, a wealth of knowledge. Uh, I, I, I can't say more nice things about him because I'm pretty sure I'm going to run out of words in the English dictionary, but Ed is an incredibly nice guy, and he was so kind to come onto the show and talk to me about his career and be the first guest for this little series I'm doing as the Angels are getting ready to start the offseason. Some things that happened just briefly that I will touch upon next week. Will Smith signed with the Atlanta Braves. That's going to significantly help their bullpen. Cody Bellinger is an MVP. Mike, Mike Trout is an MVP. Uh, uh, Justin Verlander won the Cy Young. A, bunch, a whole bunch of other awards happened as well that I will get to next week. Tommy Larusa is now a part of the Angels staff. I will talk about that next week about how important that is, what implications have. But for right now, I want you to sit down and listen to this excellent interview. I could not have asked for a better first guest. Ed, if you're listening, thank you very, very much. And everybody, listen to Believe in Arizona Cardinals on the Believe Podcast Network. Ed and Javon Adams are great. They are uh, very in-depth on talking about the Arizona Cardinals. And uh, again, I, I cannot thank Ed anymore for coming on and talking to me about this show. I just got off the phone with him uh, for this interview and uh, it's an incredible experience what this guy has gone through in his professional career. And uh, with that being said, I'm going to wrap a few things up before I send you to the interview. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe and rate the show on iTunes. We're available on your favorite directories, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. You can find us at Believe.com, that's B-L-E-A-V.com, and at Believe Podcasts on uh, Instagram, Twitter, probably Facebook, my personal social media accounts at intern underscore Phil on Twitter. Um, tweet at me. I'm still pushing for that fan engagement segment of the show. Uh, if you're interested in advertising, please contact believe at believe.com. And with that, enjoy this amazing interview with Ed Smith, former European NFL and XFL player and major league baseball player. Thanks again, Ed, for coming on and uh, enjoy the show with Ed Smith. All right, so I'm joined by Ed Smith, former MLB player, former European football player, former XFL player and NFL player, and current host of Believe in Arizona Cardinals with Javon Adams on the Believe Podcast Network. Ed, thank you very much for being the first interview on my small series called Outside Looking In. Well, thanks for having me, Phil. I didn't know I was the first, man. I feel special. Yes, uh, you are the, the first person to uh, to agree to be on the this this particular segment and uh, I, I couldn't be happier uh you have a baseball career so if, for those of you who are listening who are curious why I've got a football player on actually Ed started out in baseball so we're going to start from the top of your career to the end of it and uh you know I've uh, the furthest I got in sports was junior basketball junior league excuse me high school basketball junior year 
I tried out for the basketball team, trying to go for my third straight year on the basketball team, and I got turned down and turned to theater. And so uh, I thought, you know what? What is it? I've never gotten that chance to to look and, and be a professional athlete. So I thought, you know what? Let's talk to some actual professional athletes, people who have actually made it. And so uh, that's basically why I've got you on. You are somebody who has made it to several uh, professional levels in, in terms of your, your sports career. Yeah, you know, it, it's everybody, you know, from when we're little boys. Now, you remember we all have our dreams and aspirations, and sports was something I knew really early on, one, that I was pretty good at it, and the other is something I really wanted to do with a portion of my life. And, you know, I followed the dream, chased it. Uh, you went through the same experiences you did at different levels. You know, back in high school, I played three sports. Actually, leading up to high school, I actually played soccer as well, so I can count that one. But played, you know, multiple sports. Uh, got to a point where I started getting recognition and being noticed. And that all led, obviously, to my two professional careers. But, you know, I, I played ball with a lot of guys, Philip, early on, that they wanted to do the same thing. I do the same thing I did, and it didn't work out for them. But when you're that young man, it's all about... Just chasing that dream is about getting out there, having fun. I have a little dude right now. He's nine years old, and he's actually, you know, in flag football right now, and he just loves it, you know. And and I, I enjoy watching him do his thing. So you know, we all start out in the same, I guess, uh, category, and some of us go to different levels. But you know, it's all about the competition, all about having fun, man. Yeah, you're exactly right. Uh, it is all about having fun. I remember we did some youth football uh, games on on my end, my actual job. Uh, and getting a chance to watch some of those kids play was just bringing back youth memories of me playing youth sports, and uh, it's 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 a fun time while it lasts. Unfortunately, it doesn't last, but it's it's a great time. So you started your career as a baseball player, drafted in the seventh round of the 1987 MLB draft by the Chicago White Sox. You turned down football scholarships to Penn State and Florida. This is two days after your high school graduation. You are. It may be 18, 17 years old, and you decide, you know what, I think it's time for me to enter the MLB. What what was the deciding factor in opting out of college and going straight for the MLB? Well, you know, it, it was it was a real tussle way back then. Man, when you say 87, it seems like a million years ago, you know? <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I, my mom, you know, when, once I made the decision to even bypass football, because that's what every single person wanted me to do it. They thought that was the direction I should go. But baseball was my passion. I loved baseball from the time I was a little kid, five, six years old. I remember the first time I ever put the uniform on. Didn't have that same passion about football and I made the, the conscious decision I was gonna do what, what I thought was best for me with the guidance of my parents, you know. That's the one thing that I was very fortunate to have. My mom and dad, they you know, they were in my life helping me make some of those heavy decisions. And, you know, they always told me, it's your decision, but we're going to help you as much as possible. When it came down to it, it was, you know, I'd already signed my letter of intent to go to the University of North Carolina, and I was going to be on a full baseball ride. In most instances, you know, with baseball scholarships, they break them up. They'll give you 25 or 30 or 40 percent, and then you go get financial aid and stuff like that. I told the University of North Carolina, I was like, look, you know, if you want me on a baseball deal, I can take anywhere I wanted to go as far as football, so if you're going to... You want me to come there and play? You're gonna to have to, you know, ante up, and they did, and they, you know, extended me a full 100% baseball scholarship. Only problem was the uh, MLB scouts. Obviously, they started sniffing around 
uh, you know, from my junior on and by my senior year, I was, you know, after I signed my letter of intent, next you know, uh, the draft came around, and you're right, I was actually still 17 when I got drafted. My birthday is June 5th, and I think it was like June 3rd or 4th when the uh, actual draft happened. I got drafted in seventh round, which was pretty good for a high school kid, uh, even way back then. And I initially told the White Sox, you know, I got my education, you know, paid for I'm going to go do that. And for about two weeks, Philip, they would not stop. Every day they were knocking on my door with a different offer, handing up a little more money. And the one thing that my mom, I credit her for to this day, she made it clear that whatever I decided to do, education was going to be involved in it. So she actually went to the White Sox and said, you know, every time they came back with a different offer, she would counter and say, well, maybe this, but you have to guarantee your schooling. So my education was actually put into my contract. And, you know, being 18 years old, I would have rather had the money, but mom, <laughs> knew <what she> <laughs> mom knew what she was doing, and she guaranteed that they put my education into my contract. And after about two weeks, I ended up signing with the White Sox. And then two days after graduating high school, I was on a plane heading to Florida, man, to start my career. Wow, that is that it's insane. I, I mean you're you're you can't even drink. You're eighteen oh no, technically an eighty seven was the drinking age in eighty seven still eighteen? It, it was no, it was twenty one. It was twenty one, okay. We, we we made it all the way around that from time to time. <laughs> <laughs> so you're you can't even drink at this point and you're stepping into the major leagues. Okay, you're granted you're at the minor leagues, but still you're you're reaching a point where a lot of guys wish they could have been, just getting an opportunity to play at the amateur level. Tell me about your time with the Chicago White Sox. Did you brush shoulders with anybody interesting? Oh, I mean, I can run down the list for you, man. That you know, it's very long. I mean, I uh, Frank Thomas, yeah. I was doing my tenure there with the White Sox. At one point, I was in Double A in uh, 1990. Frank and I uh, manned the corners. They called Frank was the big hurt on uh, first base, and they called me the big pain. So you know, <laughs> so, you know, I was six four, about two twenty five, two thirty. You know, even though I was a young kid, but you know, so I, you know, uh, when I was there. Uh, Sammy Sosa actually got uh, traded from the tra- Texas Rangers That's right. to the Chicago White Sox. So I was there the day he came in, and, you know, that was 1989, I think it was. And I could run through the list of all the dudes, the Al Baines, the, you know, uh, Steve Lyons, you name it, all these dudes, even the old catcher. Um, what was his name? Uh, uh, the uh, Is that Carlton Fisk? Carlton Fisk. There yeah. you go. I mean, I go back with these, you know, some of the, Older, I'm aging my, I'm, you know, aging myself a little bit. But yeah, I, there were so many guys, and then even just through the minor league system, some of the names that you know I played with were just unbelievable. And we all started out together, you know, riding the buses, uh, you know, working our way up through the leagues, you know, separately. Um, you know, it was just unbelievable of uh, the number of guys that I played with and uh, and against, even as my career extended through that. But and I, one more I'll throw in there uh, when. Bo Jackson tried to make his comeback in 91. I was still with the White Sox at that time. I got traded later that summer. But in spring training, Bo, after his horrible hip injury, he tried to make a quick comeback. And it was, you know, it was, you know one of my uh, an opportunity to see what I would consider one of the greatest athletes to ever play this game before his injury. He was actually in spring training with us that year. Unfortunately, you know, his comeback didn't come to fruition. But, you know, that's just another dude that I had a chance to uh, kind of rub elbows with and say that, you know, along my path, our crowd paths crossed, even if it was just for a quick minute uh, all those years ago. You know, you mentioned that, uh, you know, you, you start your career out with the Chicago White Sox. 
Uh, you were then traded, like you said, to the Milwaukee Brewers. You played for, with them for about two years, and then you were with the Cubs, and then you finally finished it out with the Indians in 95. Uh, so you're at this point, you're 26. Okay, You're still relatively young. 26 is very young. Uh, your baseball career maybe isn't necessarily where you want it to be. So explain to me, at this point, where, where were you at mentally? I mean, were you thinking maybe give baseball just a couple more tries, or, or maybe it was time to turn your focus to something else? Well, at that time, Phil, it was crazy how, you know, sometimes being in the right place at the wrong time or the wrong place at the right time. He, that My final season, I was with the Indians. I signed a triple-A contract. Uh, that was the year of the strike in 94. The previous fall, that's when we didn't have a World Series. I was finished that year with the Cubs. Went down and played winter ball in the Dominican Republic. Came back. I signed my triple-A contract with the Indians. And when spring training rolled around, they still hadn't decided to strike. It was still going on. And, you know, I reported to camp under my minor league contract. And at the time, Mike Hargrove was the manager of the Indians. And I remember the first day I got to camp, because even prior to that, the Indians kept trying to ask you or, you know, influence me to come over and, you know, be one of the replacement guys. And, you know, I'll be wasting my time going to minor league camp. Right. Uh, even though I was in the, you know, triple-A contract. But, you know, hey, you, Mike, you're going to see you every day. You know, you'll get a chance to, you know, you know, live the life of a big leader. And my thought, man, was, look, until I didn't want to earn it like that. So even though I respected a lot of guys that did that, went that route, you know, so I played with and against a lot of those guys. I honored my triple contract. All through spring training, they just kept after me, kept that, kept after me. Mike Hargrove would get on the golf cart from the big league camp and come over and, you know, why are you over there? You should be over here with us. And I told Mike, I respect that, but, you know, I'm good right where I'm at. So, once the season started, the strike still hadn't broke yet. You know, we uh, break camp. I go up to Buffalo. And like you said, I was 26 years old. I was still in the prime of my baseball life. And this should have been the happiest time for me as a player. You know, I'm finally one step, one call away from the big call to the big league. Um, and I start that year off. And I was on fire. The first month and a half of the season, I was up to the AAA hitting 375. I was leading the league in home runs, RBIs, even though it was only a about a month and a half of work, but when the strike broke, you know, it was one of those situations where the 40-man roster guys came back in, they did an abbreviated spring training, so those guys had to be filtered out within the minor league system. A bunch of them came to uh, Buffalo, um, and, you know, so I was, you know, I was cool. I was doing my job, um, and at this point, you know, the never day third base for Phil, but I could play first, like, that was a day off for me playing first. I could play left and right field, and I could DH. What happened was because, like I said, they wanted all the players that were on the 40-man roster to get their work, we had a manager who was giving the director from up above, you know, hey, these dudes need to play every day, and some of these guys, uh, we'll, we'll figure it out with them later on. Well, I actually, for two weeks, for 14 days, didn't touch the field. I actually sat through a doubleheader in Des Moines, Iowa, and in my baseball student, Nobody sits to a doubleheader. Everybody plays. <laughs> so I was, I was almost, I got so discouraged after that two weeks. You know, and I'm sitting down and everybody on my team within the league are like, what are you going to sit on the bench every day? I was like, I don't know. You ask, ask them. So after two weeks, we get back off this long road trip. Um, I find myself in the lineup. I go out, have a nice game, come in after the game. And my manager told me, hey, Ed, you know, the organization, they love what you're doing and what you, to this point, um, but they want to see you play every day, so we're going to send you back to Double A. And for me, Phil, that was the, I guess, the icing on the cake. After like I said the struggle through nine years, 
you know, battling. I try to prove myself doing everything the right way. I've never taken a steroid, which, you know, that's a whole subject in itself because I know a lot of guys who are using that stuff and unbalanced field. So for somebody like myself, I got to a point of total frustration. And at first, I was, you know, because I've never quit anything in my life, but I made up my mind after being sent back from the American Association when I'm flying around the country to places like, you know, uh, Oklahoma City and New Orleans and, you know, different Des Moines. Now all of a sudden they send me back to the Eastern League and I'm on buses in Camp Akron, Ohio, going 14 hours to um, Portland, Maine and stuff like that. I was, I was so defeated, man. I thought to myself, it's either time for me to find something else to do or suffer through this. And I actually, like I said, I never was going to quit anything, but, so the, you know, we can get into the next question of how football came about, but I just, honestly, it was time for me to move on away from baseball. One of the most difficult decisions I made and the scariest at the same time. It's got to be. I mean, you basically turned down your football career to take this career in baseball, and you get to the point where they're like, Ed, we really want you up here in the majors, and you're, you know, I, I got to say, it's incredibly admirable, one, of you to, to, to stay strong in yourself as a person, to reject the easy way to the pros, which would have been, okay, this guy isn't here, I guess I'm just now the, the backup option, but I'm in the major leagues. I think it's extremely admirable for you to, to, to say, no, I want to earn my spot in the major leagues, and for them to constantly tell you, Ed, we want you up here, we want you up here, and then to send you down to double A of when you were killing it in triple yeah. A is, is just a complete slap in the face, and I don't blame you at all for stepping away from baseball, because it makes sense. It, it 100% make, percent makes sense that you would go, you know what, you guys wanted me last week, but now this week you're sending me down to where a bunch of kids are playing basically yeah that was you know it was so you know after being up there in triple a and to go down to Canton, where you guess as you said i was 26 but i was like a grizzly old veteran at this time and right. we had dudes that some of their prospects you know 20 21 22 years old and it was like going back just a level that i wasn't accepting at that point in time and that was really a difficult period for me you know i i sucked it up and you know initially you know, didn't know what I was going to do. And then I had one of those moments of reflection. We had a rain out uh, in Canton, Ohio, and I had my own apartment. No roommates, no nothing. I went back to my uh, my little apartment, and I started doing that reminiscing thing. You know, I started thinking, man, where would my life be if, you know, I'd gone football instead of baseball? You right. know, I probably would have, I could have went anywhere in the country. Huge, you know, Penn State, like you said, Florida, USC, Clemson, you name it. And I was just, and then the, the, the part of the story is really, unique is at this time, my brother was two years younger than me. He had gone to Notre Dame, played under Lou Holtz. He was now in his rookie year. No, this was 95. He was going into his third season with the season of New Orleans Saints. So I'm sitting there watching him live the life that I possibly right. could have lived and you know should have been living because I, I honestly, my brother will even miss you. I'm a bad, I've always been a better athlete to him. <laughs> Here he is in the, you know, the, the NFL and I just started thinking, Man, what 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 could have been? And then I, you know, I started like just thinking in my head. Well, maybe it's not too late. And then, you know, I, I have one of those conversations. I probably was sitting there at my dining room table, still just talking to myself, trying to talk myself into, you know, thinking that maybe somehow if I got in state, what would happen? And I got up enough courage to call my brother this this night. You know, like I said, we had a rain out early day back at the apartment. And I had enough nerve to call him, and I wanted to ask him if he thought it was any way possible if I was to get in shape, if I could figure out a way to get a workout or a look, 
where I could I possibly maybe find my way into the NFL. And I was when I asked him the question, it took me a while to work up the courage to ask him. I finally asked him, and I was expecting him to say, "Hey, Ed, you better you were a great athlete, but come on, man, that's you know." His exact words to me were, "Man, he said anything you ever put your mind to." He would conquer. He said, if you, that's something you want to try, he said, I'll do everything I can to help you. He said, but I have no doubt. You know, he's like, you know, he's seen, you know, after a couple of years in the league, the other guys playing the position. He's a tight end himself. And he said, if anybody can do it, you can. And that was the, the, the step that I needed, Phil, to even just convince myself to take this shot. And, you know, like the weight of the world was lifted off my shoulders after that because that night I decided, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I'm not going to tell anybody because everybody's going to think I'm crazy at first. I'm going to go finish this baseball season and have as much fun as I possibly can and then get to the next part of that journey, which, uh, you know, I, I obviously took later that fall uh, to, uh, I guess, start my, my road to the NFL after being away from the sport since I was in high school back in 86. Yeah, and, and exactly. Your road to the return, not even the return of the NFL, the re- your return to football started with signing with the Frankfurt Galaxy in Germany, the uh, European, N- or, excuse me, the, not the European NFL, but the European Football League. Uh, you signed with the Frankfurt Germ- uh, Galaxy in Germany. You played tight end. Uh, this is a com- this has got to be a complete culture shock to you, going from uh, baseball in America. I know that you said you played a little baseball down in the Dominican Republic, so you know, still, but still a little different. Uh, and you go all the way to Germany. Uh, what is it like being a European football player? Well, you know, it was the World League of American Football, and the crazy part, Phil, was I actually almost didn't get that opportunity. It was because I was thinking, you know, if I got to work out in the NFL, maybe some of the scouts would see me. And, but well, that didn't materialize. So at the very last minute, my brother had a contract uh, with the World League. Um, worked it where the camp had already been open for like a week or two. He got me a workout. I had to fly from here in Arizona over to Atlanta. Um, I was put on hold. They said, hey, wait for a call. We'll let you know what to do tomorrow. I got a call. Hey, be at this spot on this at this time tomorrow. Um, I went there. Uh, the Frankfurt Galaxy coach at the time was Ernie Slaughter. Yeah, Hall of Famer from the Steelers. He I walked into his office, which was a hotel room. That's where camp was being held. And I knocked on the door, said my name. He said, I know who you are. I didn't even turn around. He said, go take your physical, pass your physical. I'll see you on the field tomorrow. Wow. So I went and took my physical. The next, got back from that, and they started suiting me for my first uniform, football uniform, since high school. Like I said, lad, this is 96. Last time I played football was in 86, my senior year. A decade later. So it was, yeah, so the crazy part was I was two weeks late getting there. They had I was fourth or fifth on a depth chart. There was only two and a half weeks left in camp. And the long story short, I actually won that job in two weeks. And I, you're talking about just acclimating myself, going from you know figuring out how to hit a split finger to all of a sudden now I'm in a playbook trying to learn an offense, the terminology, the motions, the this, you know, the physicality of the game, the different – it was, you're talking about a whirlwind, and we actually flew over to Germany. I found out I made the team, at least I thought I made the team, uh, like a week before our first game. They fly us all over to Germany. We get there. We had a workout. The, the second we landed, they took us to the hotel. We dropped the bags off, went back to the to a facility and had a workout. The next morning we get up, and on the roster there was myself and another tight end who played in the league, and 
you know, found himself there. And then we had two German nationals. Well, yeah, two German nationals as our backup. Well, the next morning we get to our meetings and, you know, tight ends, we all grouped together and we're sitting in our meeting. And the other guy, the, the, the other tight end wasn't there. And I, we're all looking around like, where's he at? You know, he's going to be late for the meeting. And somebody whispered to me, you know, they sent him home. You won the job. <laughs> so, so it came down to that last minute. We, they, he flew all the way over to Germany. They sent him home. It was my job. And, you know, I went went at it. And real quick, I went four games. Uh, the second game of the year, I had the George Michael Sports Machine play of the week with this diving catch in the back of the end zone. Two weeks later, I blew my knee out, my MCL, and uh, thought my career was over. But, you know, rehabbed it. They sent me back to Birmingham, Alabama, to that stop. I rehabbed for four weeks. When I left the team, we were 4-0. While I was away, they were 0-4. They're calling all the way from Germany like, hey, how soon can we get Ed back here? And this was a totally ruptured MCL, which after four weeks, I still sit in and play him. But I talked my dad. I kind of fooled my doctors into thinking, hey, you know, like rehab, we, you know, got the leg at least strong enough where I could try to play with a brace. We flew me back over. We won the next two games. Went to the World League, the uh, World Bowl. Lost that to Scotland. I flew back to the States on June 26th. And I was in my first NFL camp by July 13th that year. Uh, that is incredible. I mean, it's, it goes back to what your brother said. Uh, you know, if you put your mind to something and you work hard enough, you really can achieve it. I mean, a decade ago, in 86, you were getting ready, or I guess, yeah, 86, 87, you were getting ready to suit up for the Chicago White Sox and play baseball for them. You flash forward 10 years later, and you're in Germany playing football. I mean, you know, you, you, step, you step away from the game for so long. How did it feel to get those pads back on? It had been so long since you'd played football. I know it wasn't at the NFL level at that time, but how did it feel really to get back on the field and and play professional sports again? It took me a little bit of time. The thing was, I didn't have a whole lot of time to prove myself. I, you know, it, it felt so strange. So after all those years of baseball, you know, even just you know, one of the things that I didn't even take into account initially was not just my my body had to be ready because this is a totally different sport. My mind had to be ready for the physicality and the brutalness on a football field. I was still, my first couple of games, even after going through training camp, we went over to Germany, and that whole experience being in Europe was unbelievable. Um, but even just the first couple of games on the field, man, I was still in like in baseball mode. You know, you slide hard in the second base, you know, you might take somebody out, but you know, you get up and you help them up, you yeah. know. In football, Man, it's every dude out there wearing a different color is trying to knock your head off. <laughs> and it's violent. And it's vulgar. And it's, you know, like everything that baseball is, football isn't. You know, it's like I said, so fast paced. So I really, the physical part of it, because I got myself in shape, I went from 220 pounds, 225 as a baseball player, over the course of from, from November of 95 until probably March of. 96, you know, I transformed my body, you know, working out six, seven days a week with a trainer here out at, uh, at ASU, you know, getting in shape. I was 250 pounds, you know, solid muscle and hadn't taken the beating that a lot of dudes had taken to that point in their career, you know, so it was, like I said, my mind, man, was really not, uh, I wasn't ready for it until I took a particular hit in the first or second game of, of my return to the, to the football field. And it kind of reminded me, hey, man, you got to re- recognize where you're at. And it's not it's all about, not about sportsmanship. And it's not about, you know, uh, 
good feelings and stuff like that. I had to really change my mentality mentally so I could prepare myself every week to go out. And my motto was hit or be hit, you know. Yeah. Uh, so it was really an adjustment I had to make. And once I'm glad I had that opportunity to go to Europe and get that experience because, as you mentioned, the NFL, like, World League was not, it was a step above college, but it was nowhere near the NFL. Right. I thought when I was in the, I thought when I was in the World League, I was like, wow. You know, being that the last time I was on a football field was in high school, I watched my brother at Notre Dame, you know, play against Miami and different schools. So I knew we, it was a step above that. I had no idea how far the gap was from uh, NFL World League to the uh, NFL. It was unbelievable when I finally made that transition getting back here and going into my first camp, it was a difference. It was like uh, night and day, the speed. Yeah, so, you know, exactly. You know, you, know, you, you talk about that hit you took, uh, that first hit, the first initial hit you took in your game, in your your first game back, your first few games back. And, you know, a lot of guys talk about their welcome to the NFL moment. That was kind of your welcome to the uh, Euro League moment. You're sort of, I don't know what hello in German is, but that's essentially what you got was the uh, the hello to welcome to the Euro League. I mean, you went from hitting home runs in AAA to playing on the field in, in, at the at a somewhat professional level. And that while you were in shape, that transition, like you said, mentally is just completely different. So you leave the Euro League after a unfortunate World Bowl loss in 96. You get an opportunity with the Washington Redskins. Now, this is where the dream is starting to come come into fruition, that that initial football dream. It's starting to slowly kind of come to, to reality here. You watch your brother Irv playing uh, with the New Orleans Saints at this time, or maybe he was with the 49ers by now. Um, but you, you're finally getting a, a glimpse, an opportunity here to play for the Washington Redskins in, ni- in 97. Uh, how did it feel? I mean, you get that, I don't know if it was a call or if it was a you know, a, a fax or whatever it was to tell you, hey, the Redskins want to take an opportunity with you on the practice squad. How did it feel to get an opportunity to possibly play at the professional level in the NFL? I could not believe it. First of all, I actually got signed by the Rams. They were still in St. Louis. I went off from training camp with the Rams and impressed them enough when they finally, they, I, was a very, I, I was told I was a very last cut. I was on the roster. They wanted to bring me back on their practice squad. But then, you know, they were, they were like, my, my science coach was, you know, he told me, he's like, I've never seen anybody come in and do what you did on this. You know, obviously your story's unique. And so they were all ready to bring me back on the practice squad. And for a ex-minor league baseball player, you know, when there are dudes that go to four years of college, either do or don't get drafted, and they go through an NFL camp and get cut. Man, I was, when they told me they were cutting me, I was a little upset at first, you know, like disappointed. But then when they told me they're transforming, I said, are you serious? You know, this is, you know, it was like an opportunity that I just never saw coming in a million years because it was all so fast. If you think about it, I was in camp less than a year from my last baseball game in September of the, the previous year. Right. So they had to waive me. I had to clear waivers. But lo and behold, I had impressed enough where the Washington Redskins wanted me as well. And it was one of those things where, man, I went from – you know, hoping and praying just to get an opportunity and all of a sudden getting not just an opportunity, but the Redskins thought enough of me and my talent and what they saw just on, you know, training camp and the preseason games that they wanted me as part of their organization. So, I mean, I, I, I would sometimes pinch myself, uh, you know, and, and the, the funny part was I had teammates that I never told what I was doing, you know, because I thought everybody would think I was crazy. And I'm talking baseball teammates. And, I, that, you know, I thought they would think I was crazy by even – attempting something like this, 
So you fast forward, and I'm out there in the World League, and then I come back, and I'm playing in preseason games. And a lot of my teammates who I bumped into, you know, years later and still do, they were like, man, I remember seeing the name come across the screen. And I was like, that can't be Ed, Ed Smith, I know. And sure enough, it was me. And so, you know, for me, like I said, I was, I was so determined to work as hard as I possibly could and, you know, sacrifice the body and everything I could to, to keep the dream coming, you know, keep it going. And that's what I did, man. I took that mentality that nothing was given to me. You know, it was it was a dream come true, man, after everything I'd been through and what I walked away from to be there playing in the NFL, you know, and at some point, you know, we'll, we'll further go further down the story of being on the same field as my brother and That's stuff right. like that, man. I, you talk about living the dream. You couldn't ask for any more. Yeah, and and you you are right. I, I mean, uh, you go from the Redskins, then you go to the Atlanta Falcons, and in ninety eight, ninety seven, the Atlanta Falcons were a Super Bowl team. They went to the Super Bowl to take on the Denver Broncos, and two games before that, in the divisional round, you get an opportunity to face the San Francisco Forty ers the team that your brother Irv plays for. Now, granted, you were not a, a corner or a safety or a defensive end, middle linebacker, so you didn't get a chance to line up a, against him. But you both play the same position with an opportunity to make it to the Super Bowl. I mean, this has got to be every kid's dream. You play football with your brother. You've been on opposite teams before, of course. You know, you've you've had that moment where you guys are pretending to be in the in the backyard playing football. Oh, where hey, makes the t- Irv makes a touchdown for the Super Bowl, and now you actually get that opportunity to be in in a playoff game to decide who is possibly going to go to the Super Bowl. Of course, you still have the championship game, but nonetheless, you guys made it to the Super Bowl. I mean, what? how did it feel? You, you look across the field, and there's Irv. Irv is in his San Francisco 49ers jersey, and you're in your Atlanta Falcons jersey. How did that feel? Well, I'll take you a year back in 97. My first year with the uh, Falcons, he was still in New Orleans at that time. And I remember the first time we lied to you know, the National Anthem. You know, we fly into New Orleans the first time. And, you know, just, you know, we got to have dinner that night. And even my brother was looking at me like, man, you know, it is unbelievable what you've done. I still still hadn't hit me yet, you know. Right. And I remember the, the, the next day we're on the field together and we stood up directly across from each other on the sideline. And then, you know, to, to see my little brother over there, everything he accomplished, I'm looking at him like with all the pride in the world. And he's doing the same thing in return. And then, you know, we played against each other later that year. Uh, second round, mom and dad came to every game. I remember there was a really unique moment. I remember where the second time we played them that year, I'm out there. And we were up late in the game, I think it was, so they were going onside kick. And I was on the hands team, and I just happened to be the very, I was in the front row or front level all the way on their sideline. So I'm over there, and, you know, getting ready to come out of the TV timeout, and you're ready to do the onside kick. And I hear this voice over my shoulder, you know, Ed, Ed. And I, I was like, I had to stop, and I looked over, and there's my brother, like, standing right behind me. And, you know, there's a few of his teammates, you know, giving me, a hard time. They're like, man, it's coming this way. They're going to get you. They're going to blow you up here. So, you know, it was like really cool just to be that close to my brother and experiencing that. And then, like you said, fast forward the following year to have them, you know, we played each other twice that year when the, because uh, San Fran was in the NFC West and mm-hmm. was before they re, re, uh, did the uh, uh, divisions. But we played each other twice that year. Then to get a third opportunity for, like you said, the divisional playoff game and to decide who goes to Minnesota. And we both made a pact before that game, you know, for the third one. Whoever loses, the 
everyone's going to come up and support you, everyone in Minnesota. Right. So I'm just so, I'm so proud that I'm so happy that we won that one to go to Minnesota. But it's just true to word, you know, that following week, he was up there cheering with our little pack of 100 uh, uh, soccer people up there in the corner cheering for us, you know, as, as we made that next step. But to, to, just to wrap it up, man, I'm telling you, it was just so surreal and one of those things that, okay, how did we get? We have those memories. And, you know, my mom and, uh, and my dad, you know, just the opportunity to talk about how cool that was. They're two boys, you know, out there playing against each other. Uh, and both of us making the NFL. The odds are so far between, you know, there's more there's from, like, you got Rock Brothers and different ones that are in there now. But, you know, my brother and I, we belong to a unique fraternity in terms of two brothers that played and, you know, Steffi at the same time. So it's really, really cool. Yeah, no, that that's right. There's a great uh, if you if you search you or Irv, there's a picture of, of the two of you, you in your Falcons uniform and him in his his Forty Niners uniform, and uh, you know you're both smiling, wearing the, the the jerseys of the two teams, and you know I think that's great. Uh, you know it's it's real nice that you guys made a pact before that to say you know we're both going to Minnesota. One of us is going to be on the field, and one of us is going to be upstairs. Of course, you know you. you you're happy for Irv, but secretly you kind of want to be the, the guy down on the field, and you happen to be the guy down on the field. Your Atlanta Falcons took on the Denver Broncos, John Elway, in his, I think this was his second Super Bowl, uh, the season yeah. before they had beat Green Bay. They were back in the Super Bowl looking to go back-to-back. Uh, I know I, we won't. We don't have to talk about how the game ended, but how about, what, what did it feel like? Again, you go back to, to being a little kid playing backyard football, you know, you're making the Super Bowl winning catch to win the Super Bowl. Now you actually have the opportunity. You're on the field for the Super Bowl. I mean, what is what is that experience like? I, you know, and if, if I never accomplished another thing in my life, which I don't plan on not doing that, but that was, as far as my professional career, that was like the, there's nothing that will compete with that. You know, I've, you know, I, I I remember the night before the game, we had a final walkthrough on Saturday. And just the whole experience, being down there for the week, the bye week that we were in Atlanta, you know, everybody, you know, we were the focal point of the entire sporting world. And then, you know, we get down there to Miami. We have our week of prep, and, you know, we're everywhere we go, there's a police escort. You know, we everything's stamped with Super Bowl 33. You know, we get to our final walkthrough, do our team picture. And then at one point, I kind of just kind of stepped to the side and I remember just looking around the stadium, and I just had one of those moments, Phil, where I just, if that was when it hit me, like, wow, the entire world is going to be watching me tomorrow. And like I said, just to be a few years earlier, riding, you know, riding buses, flying around the country, playing minor baseball, to be now getting ready for a Super Bowl. I remember going to bed that night, you know, and just like every kid has those dreams of scoring the winning you know, touchdown or, you know, making that dynamic play. I remember going to bed that night, man, thinking, man, what if something crazy happens and, you know, I score a couple times and you know, I'm the, the, the Super Bowl MVP and, yeah. you know, you know, it's just, your mind just goes everywhere. And I, you know, I, I, the, the day of the game, it was all the nerves and everything like that first. But I remember, you know, I tell everybody, everybody's not going to run out of a tunnel on Super Bowl Sunday. But everybody in their life has experienced that moment once, meaning that the highest of all highs you can get. Uh, I mean, I just remember we were getting ready to come out the tunnel, man, and it was like, it was, it's almost unexplainable. I tell people I can tell you about it, but I can't make you feel how I felt that day. It was unbelievable just to be in that position. You're ready to come 
uh, football world and, you know, experience what I experienced. So, you know, it, man, I tell you, when I, when I talk about it, I still get those goosebumps. And every year when the Super Bowl comes around and they play some of the old highlights or, you know, I just have those flashbacks of my experience. And, you know, I keep in touch with a lot of my old teammates. And sometimes, man, we just like to sit down and talk about how good that was because it was good. The only thing would have made it better was a victory instead of a defeat. But, but the old saying, better to have loved and lost than never to have loved at all, man. Exactly. And, you know, despite you guys losing, there are a lot of guys who went their entire career with never making it to the Super Bowl, not even making an appearance to the Super Bowl. They yeah. they never made it. I mean, it's what you accomplished in this small span of time from this is two years ago. You were in the European League two to three years ago. You were playing for the Frankfurt Galaxy, just trying to get back on the football field. You flash forward slightly for a little bit more and you're on, you're in the Super Bowl with the Atlanta Falcons, an opportunity to at least if your career stopped tomorrow, you walk away a Super Bowl champion. And, and that is just it's incredible. Just that that in, that entire span of events is insane. Well, you know, my brother, obviously, he, well, he never made it past. You know, he got to the playoffs a couple times. We obviously beat him to go to that Super Bowl. And to this day, whenever he sees me wear my ring, he's always like, that's be my ring. <laughs> and I, I'll, be, I'll be perfectly honest with you, Phil. You know, I'm sitting here and I have it on my hand right now. It's like it's a symbol. Because there are a lot of guys who, not a, a ton, but out here in Arizona, we have a lot of nice community of our retired alumni. And, you know, we run into guys, we run into each other, golf tournaments, we run into each other. Uh, you know, functions and different things. And there's a whole lot of guys that I know that do not have this piece of, you know, this, this piece of jewelry on their finger. That's right. They played a whole lot longer than I did. And I, that doesn't fall flat on me. I know how, you know, blessed, uh, and, you know, especially after the years of football, the baseball, and everything. I had to be at the right place at the right time, make some right decisions. I had to work my tail off to, to, to accomplish what I did. But it was all that part of that journey, man. And this, you know, this is a reminder. You know, people will see me and sometimes they'll, they'll look at me and they'll say, hey, you look like you used to play some, you know, some some, some sports. And, you know, sometimes, sometimes I'll say, yeah, but sometimes I'll keep it under wraps. But as soon as they see this ring on my finger, they're like, it's like, what is that? You know, so, <laughs> you know, it's my it's my piece of, uh, you know, a piece that I carry around with me when I wear it that reminds me of the struggle and everything I accomplished. Uh, because it wasn't easy, but you know, like I said it was, you know, I was blessed and, and, and made a uh, made a good a good run of it. You know, and I don't mean to put this rudely, but it's honestly a nice consolation prize to all you've accomplished. I mean, I know a Super Bowl ring is different, but but nonetheless, I mean, what you accomplished in that two years is something that most guys try to accomplish in twenty years of playing. Yeah, yeah, I mean, and the funny part is, like I said, I see guys out here, and I know their careers, and. You know, sometimes, I, you know, I always have to remind myself I am worthy. My dad used to say that all the time. He just recently passed. He used to always remind me, you are worthy. And for me, it's like I wasn't a star on the team, uh, you know, but I bled and sweated and everything and, and was a part of that great run, and I earned this. You know, like a lot of people be like, well, you were just along for the ride. Nope. I have every, whatever, everything I did in practice. Everything I did in study, everything I did in games, I was a part of that. And, you know, you, you can never take that away from me. You finished your NFL career with the uh, Philadelphia Eagles and the Detroit Lions. You split time with both of those teams in 99. Uh, the 99 season is over. You're a free agent again. Was there a point where you were thinking, you know what, maybe it's time to step away from sports completely, or did you want just one more shot with football? 
could still be playing Phil, I would. <laughs> I, you know, my, what happens by the time I obviously was um, in tour, I was at 32 now. If you fast forward, you know, well, I think I was 31 or so. You know, I was only a few years in the league, but I was aged, you know, and it was easier for, it was tougher for my agent to find me opportunities, even though I had the ability, but, uh, but for a mid-level guy like myself, when you can go get it cheaper and a little less beat up than I was, you know, because you know, I didn't play a whole bunch of college football, you know, 31, 32, almost 32-year-old body, they want those fresh kids coming out of college. So at one point, you know, my agent said, look, I'm going to continue to look for you and we'll see what we can find. And, you know, my thing was, hey, look, this to this point, it's all gravy. You know, it's been a great run. Uh, I definitely would have loved the experience to play a little more, but that's where my NFL career ended. And then, uh, you know, obviously the, the last opportunity of playing in the XFL rolled around. And for me, that was a beautiful thing, man. After all the years, uh, you know, like being a second-tier guy in the NFL, all of a sudden, I'm the Wiley veteran with Super Bowl experience uh, in this new league that, you know, a lot of young kids that were trying to get their first look, you know, went to maybe went some big colleges and stuff like that, great athletes, but hadn't found their way in the NFL. And I could fall back on, yeah, you know, I've been there, done that, played in the Super Bowl. And I also had the opportunity to go out on my own accord, meaning, you know, play in that league. Um, it wasn't a healthy year for me. I got hurt with a high ankle in the coming out of camp, but basically played the whole year hurt because I didn't want to sit or miss any games. But, man, you're talking about the old veteran having an opportunity to dictate how much he practiced and let the young dudes take all the practice reps. And, you know, it's my time to get all the, the glory in the game. So that was a great experience in itself going to the XFL. And another unique experience where I can say not many people had an opportunity to be in that league and say that they were part of that. Obviously, it's coming back for – a second version, but, you know, to say that I played in the World League, uh, NFL, and XFL, you know, gives me a little, uh, a, a little, you know, cachet. <laughs> you played with the, Bur- you just mentioned, you played with the uh, Birmingham Thunderbolts in for the XFL in 2001, the only season the XFL had, which must have been a little frustrating. You get another opportunity to play football and the league collapses after one year. Um, let me ask you this, uh, you, you, you know, a lot of people pay attention to the XFL nicknames. You know, He Hate Me and a couple of those other guys. Did you rock yeah. Smith on the back of your jersey, or did they give you a nickname? No, you know what happened, man? And I was being one of the veterans. I had a couple other veterans. We kind of sat down and talked. And I was really interested in playing some honest, good football without all the, the shenanigans and the clowning and stuff like that. So we had a team meeting right before the season, and I stood up and I told the guys, I said, look, do you guys want to be taken seriously? I said, there's nothing wrong against nicknames and stuff like that, but if you want to be taken seriously, let's treat this seriously. I said, we'll go with our regular name on the back of our jerseys, let everybody else do what they want to do, and then we'll go from there. And that was actually, you know, we voted on it, and everybody said, so we were probably one of the only teams, there might have been another one or two, but we actually went with our full last names, no crazy, he ate me, which I, you know, I remember the first night, I was actually, we, we were on the road, I think, our first game, and I remember, uh, you know, watching the very first games, I think they played on Saturday, we were playing on Sunday, and when they showed he ate me, I thought to myself, man, that's pretty good, that's pretty, pretty good. <laughs> kind of made yeah, you I'm reconsider, did it make you reconsider your stance at all about not having a nickname? Nah, nah, <laughs> I just, like I said, I wanted to just keep it, you know, and, and none of my teammates, we all 
went about it, and it was all cool with us. But I did think that was very, I loved, you know, when they interviewed and they asked me why the name. That was one of the most original things I'd ever heard before, and it was really cool. But I'm still glad we went with the traditional. What was it like to play in the XFL? I mean, you know, you you and it's a it's an offset branch of the WWE, and I mean, at least in my opinion, the WWE is extremely fake. I mean, it's it's very staged and and very fake. I I guess I apologize to any wrestling fans who are listening, but it's tough to break it to you. But it's very fake. Was there any kind of any? I mean, you don't you don't have to get into too much if there was, but was there any kind of I don't know? Maybe this team's gonna win this week. You know, we'll do this to make it a little more interesting. Any kind of storyline in the XFL? Was there a production meeting before games? No, the crazy part is that was the perception, that, and it couldn't have been any further from the truth. Well, it was it was honest to goodness, nothing but football. The thing that made it seem like a, a circus was some of the different things they did with the, instead of a coin flip, you know, dudes running, trying to scramble for the ball, um, you know, no fair catches, different things. And then they basically paraded the, the uh, cheerleaders like they were basically going to be like a, a ready-made brothel for us. It wasn't. It couldn't have say It was not, absolutely nothing like that. And the football was 100, 100% real. There was nothing about, you know, well, this week we're going to do this or that. Or, you know, they, they encouraged guys to be individual in terms of maybe celebrations and stuff like that. But the football itself was all real. And uh, if it was fake, there's no way I would have, have played in it. Uh, and I, that's, I agree 100%. In fact, I mean, there are a few things from the XFL that are currently in the NFL. One of them is the sky cam that, that flies across the middle of the field that was started in the XFL and then incorporated by the NFL. But, yeah, I don't blame you. Honestly, if they were saying, you know, hey, the Birmingham Thunderbolts, we're going to give you guys the XFL championship this year. You're going to win this amount of games, and you're going to go to the championship game, and you're going to be down by a touchdown, and then you're going to get the touchdown. I don't blame you. I would have stepped away too. But let's talk about your career after. You're done with the XFL. Where are you at? Did you ever consider possibly going back to baseball? I know you're, you know, you're in your 30s at this point, still on the younger half of the 30s. Possibility you could still play. I mean, Albert Pujols is still playing. He's about 50. Uh, you've got Miguel Cabrera. He's significantly older as well. Was there a chance that maybe you thought maybe I can give one more shot at baseball, or or, or maybe make another practice squad and try to get on an NFL squad? Or were you ready to to turn your focus towards something else? Well, you know, it was one of those things. I didn't, I didn't retire. The game retired me. Hmm. Uh, and it was, I was in a place where, you know, returning to baseball after the bitterness of leaving it, that wasn't even a, 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 a split second of a thought. And once I left baseball, I knew I was pretty much done with it. You know, I've had some opportunities over the years to potentially get back in and do some coaching and different things like that. But this is way after the days where I was able to still get on the field. Um, you know, I, at, at first I was just like a lot of athletes, especially an athlete who didn't have the luxury of going to college, you know, or at least full-time. I did take classes through all my years. Uh, when I was in Atlanta, the Falcons, I went to Georgia State University. I was on the dean's list there. I'd taken classes at other places. But I was so far from getting my degree that to start all over, I just wasn't in that uh, zone, I guess. And I was trying to figure out exactly what I was going to do. This was right around 2001, 2002, uh, you know, uh, and I would say I was trying to figure out what I wanted to be when I grew up at that
and figuring out maybe getting to the financial world. And over the course of about a year and a half, maybe even sooner than that, I ended up getting licensed as a financial planner. I had my Series 6, my 63, Life and Health, annuities, everything. So I dove into that for a couple of years before I realized I didn't really want to do that. I, well, you know, it was a great start, but, you know, that's not something I saw myself doing for for the for the long run. So, you know, mid-2000s or so, I kept hearing everybody I talked to and they'd hear my story in their first thing out of their mouth, man, that is amazing, you need to write a book. So, you know, just like everything else, I figured I'd take my crack at that, put my head to it, and in 2005, my autobiography, Easy Does It, The Journey of a Lifetime, was actually published. And, you know, and I did that all myself. I mean, I wrote it, um, found the publishing company, which was actually out here in Arizona. Um, by the time I kind of relocated out here, got the book published in 2005. Uh, since then, and I'm not, I don't want to fast forward too much, but I started doing radio out here. I travel and I do public speaking. Um, and then, you know, at the same time, uh, I've had different, I've been in the corporate world in different um, different ways. I've been an account executive uh, for IT companies. You know, when I've dealt with major accounts like American Airlines and different ones, you know, AAA. And so that's the stuff I've kind of, you know, took the baby steps, you know, Gradually getting into sales, getting to account management, taking over roles, taking over big accounts. So I still consult to this day within the IT world. And like I said, I, I travel and speak. I do motivational speaking. Uh, still trying to pub and promote the book. And now I'm doing radio where I'm doing the, the I started radio in 2011. That has taken me to where now my, my latest show, Easy Sports Talk, has been on. Uh, NBC Sports KDUS 1060 out here for the last two, two and a half plus years. I do the Believe in the Arizona podcast with my uh, my same my uh, radio mate, uh, Devon um, Adams. Um, I, do, I do great podcasts and, and interviews like the one I'm doing too. So things are, you know, it's like, um, I feel like that, you know, the, was it the caterpillar that turned, eventually turns into the butterfly after coming out of the cocoon? I kind of feel like that, you know? Baseball, the baseball and football, those were the early stages. You know, then I had to join the, the, the real world of corporate and, and you know, not, non-athlete status. And like I said, I'm, I feel like that butterfly has been through the whole whole thing. And I feel good about the things I'm doing. And I try to approach them in the same manner that I did with my sports career. Whereas, you know, obviously different attributes of, you know, toughness, uh, being able to deal with things under pressure, uh, dealing with adversity, giving it everything you got. I try to take that into my now uh, new life of, you know, post-athletics. Uh, you know, and, and you, you talk about your, your career after football, and you, you really kind of set yourself up perfectly. I mean, there are a lot of guys who leave the football landscape or leave their professional uh, sport, and they don't know really what to do, where to go, and these guys kind of just either find something or – or they don't really find anything, and they, they take regular day-to-day jobs and just kind of fall into that category of, well, he, he, he could have been something, but it didn't work out. But you, you've taken the steps to make sure that you were successful after football. Do you think that that's, you know, is, do you think that it's, a, why, why do you think that is a struggle for professional athletes to, to find life after football, a successful life after football? Well, you know, the, the, the entire time, Phil, that you're an athlete, you know, and it, it all varies according to what, 
level you make it to. But even as a minor baseball player, people looked at us like, oh, my God, you guys are so special, and you're so athletic, and you're so gifted. And the higher you climb the ladder, the more adulation and praise you get. Same thing, especially with football. You know, you spend your whole life, you know, beating yourself up, but at the same time, everybody's telling you how amazing you are, and, God, I wish I could do that. And guys start to buy into it after a while. What happens is, when you're done with your playing days, there's a small percentage of your superstars, they just roll right out of it, and they're going to be stuck for the rest of their lives because they roll into those positions where they're, you know, doing broadcasting or, you know, head of foundations or, you know, big companies come chase them for endorsement and stuff like that. For the multitude of other guys like myself, if you haven't established in yourself more self-worth than just being an athlete, you're, you're bound to crash and fall because... We all know, when, you know, I remember the first few times in the corporate world, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't, if I did a good job, I wasn't expecting somebody to come and tell me how great I was because it doesn't happen like that. A lot of guys are still looking for that, I guess, um, you know, ex- like acceptance of who they are as a superstar rather than realizing, hey, you know, I got to go do my job just like everybody else. And it's, a, you know, when you're in the spotlight, sometimes as long as some of these guys are, it's tough to turn it off. I, I've heard stories of young men who just made it as far as the college level, but they maybe, maybe were superstars in their college, and then it didn't work out for them where they made it to the next level, but they still have a hard time. They still feel like they should be, you know, like praised and the superstar uh, because, you know, they played in college, you know, play college football or whatever sport is, when the reality, like I said, part of the real world is not about everybody's going to love you and, you know, you're the greatest thing since sliced bread. You know, sometimes, you know, you're going to be on the low end of the totem pole doing the low, lowest end of jobs. And you have to have pride in what you're doing. It's just that, like, a lot of guys just think it is, you know, beneath them. So, you know, I, I took sales jobs and different things when I was trying to figure my way out. And, you know, people would find out that I was a former athlete. I played in the Super Bowl, and they're like, well, why are you doing that? I'm like, because. I mean, I got, I'm 32, 32 years old. I hope to be around here a very long time, and that means I gotta work just like everybody else, you know. <laughs> Do you have so, any? Ad- you know, oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. Yeah. Oh, I was gonna ask if you had any advice for those those kind of players. And I'm telling you, it's, it's all about you know you have to one. It isn't. There's no shame in being a non being not no longer an athlete. A lot of guys tie their entire identity to that. So when it all comes to an end, they don't know how to react. So for me, while you're playing, you know, you have to have other interests. You have to start building yourself to be more than just a dude that can hit or run or tackle or catch. You know, you have to start thinking about those things earlier than because if you're thinking about it when you're finally not getting the phone calls to, to, to continue to play, it's too late. you got to already have that mindset. And, you know, I was fortunate where when I was done – didn't know what I was going to do, but like I said, I had somebody approach me and take me under their wing and lead me in the direction of, you know, what I started to do. But I said, you can't wait till, wait till it's over to try to figure out the next step. You got to be thinking about that long before that time ever comes. And obviously, be smart with your money, uh, you know, because it's not going to always be there. And make sure you have the right people surrounding you, not just making decisions, but, you know, sometimes family and close friends, those are the ones that will... Make sure, make sure you keep your eye on everybody, not just the people you think you need to. And I've got two more questions for you. The first one is, you mentioned that your son is currently playing youth football, but your nephew 
Irv Smith Jr. is currently with the Minnesota Vikings. So maybe there's a possibility we could see another Smith tandem on the field. Well, you know, Quinn's only nine, so he's got a way to catch up to his cousin. But I'll tell you what, man, I'm so proud of my nephew and, you know, watching him through his three years at Alabama, then watching the, the young man who's already become in the NFL on the field and off. So I'm very proud of him. Uh, my son, he, man, he can't get enough of it. We, it was one thing to watch my nephew when he's playing out of Alabama. You know, every play, my little dude wants to run up and wants me to freeze it and throw it, you know, his cousin. Now, he's got him on his Madden football team. Man. Oh, man. Yes. It is unbelievable. He'll pull him up and he puts him in the starting lineup and, you know, he wants to throw every pass to his cousin. And, you know, so just watching him kind of want to emulate uh, my nephew is encouraging. But, you know, for me, uh, Quentin's going to be guided the same way I was guided by my mom and dad. And it's not about the sport. First, it's about those books and your education. And then all that will take care of itself down the line. But if, if what is something that will get him there, he definitely wants to, man. I mean, I can't keep him off the ground, running through the house, tackling himself, throwing balls to himself, wanting to tackle me, wanting to tackle his mother. I mean, <laughs> if, if, <laughs> so his, his desire is, is all it takes to get him there. He's more than halfway. Uh, you had an incredible career, uh, starting with the Chicago White Sox and ending uh, with the Birmingham Thunderbolts in the XFL, a career that spanned about 12 to 13 years, and you accomplished a lot in those 13 years, a lot that a lot of guys don't accomplish in a 20-plus career, and it is incredible. I've got one last question for you. On your forearms, you've got mostly every team you've played for tattooed on your forearm. You put the baseball team on your right arm. Now, I'm assuming here that you're right-handed, so, did you put the baseball teams on your your dominant arm because you're kind of more of a you started a little bit more in the foot baseball than you did football? That's a great question. You know, I don't maybe maybe uh, I did it not even realizing it. I don't know. I remember it took me forever to convince myself it was okay to do this because now obviously I just got these mm, probably about nine, ten, eleven years ago, but I was. Obviously, in the corporate world, I'm going to meetings and different things. And, you know, I have other tattoos, but everything I have was above the elbow, where if I was going to a meeting with a short sleeve shirt, nobody had to see all the other things I had. So it took me a while to, you know, kind of convince myself these are okay, especially because they tell the story of my career. It's not like I'm running around with skulls with snakes coming out of them. And, That's the next you know, tattoo. Yeah, naked ladies on the arm and stuff like that. So. You know, I don't, that's a great cut. I never thought why I did one on this side and the other on the other side. But, you know, who knows? Maybe maybe that was something that, you know, because like I said, I still love the game of baseball. I don't watch a lot of regular season baseball. I love playoff baseball. Football, you know, with, with the fantasy and everything like that, it's hard not to be just so uh, enthralled in that. But, you know, being a baseball dude, that was my first love. And maybe because, like you said, it was a dominant arm that the side I went. But that's probably one of the best questions I've ever had, So That's a good one. I'm going to have to think about that to see if if there was uh, something that went into that decision. Well, I appreciate it, and I sincerely appreciate you coming on and and being the first guest uh, in my small series called Outside Looking In. Ed Smith, host of Believe in Arizona Cardinals with Javon Adams on the Believe Podcast Network. Listen to it. Tune into his sports show, Easy Sports Talk Show. Ed, where can people find you on social media if they want to connect with you? I am at Ed Smith Speaks on uh, Twitter and 
on uh, Instagram and my website, which leads you to opportunities if anybody's ever interested in buying the book. It's uh, edsmithspeaks.com. There's also a lot of good information on there. Uh, you can book me as a speaker. Um, so, you know, just uh, I can't thank you enough, Phil, for having me on. And then, like I said, really honored to be the first one to do your show. And the questions and everything you have lined up, you're, you're gonna, if you haven't, you see, I'm sure you're already successful. It's going to continue on, man, because it's been a real pleasure talking to you. And anytime you need me, and I'll definitely reach out to you because you know, I'd love to have you do some of the, chime in on some of the stuff we're doing as well. Uh, I appreciate it very much. Ed. I, Ed, the kind words mean a lot to me. I, I sincerely appreciate it and cannot, cannot. It's just going to be us saying thank you, thank you. If, if I don't, if I don't wrap things up, but seriously, I, I, <laughs> that you were an incredible interview. You've accomplished so much in your career, and you were the perfect first guest for this series. And guys, go check out the podcast. Believe in Arizona Cardinals on the Believe Podcast Network. Go get Ed's book. Ed, thank you very, very much. And uh, I want to thank everyone for listening. And Ed, again, I mean, you're the man. Thank you very much. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it, man. All the best. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.